take a minute to pray for the kids that just went downstairs and for the ministry that goes down down there I can't are you this way I can be a little selfish and I can think what I'm doing is the big thing going on and I wonder if the Lord sees it that way I wonder if he's going yeah whatever Ken but what I'm really paying attention to right now is what's happening right below us isn't it interesting what's happening right below us is little children are hearing about uh, the Lord Jesus so I, I just want to pray right now for them for our young people in our church pray with us about our uh, search for a youth and family pastor uh, this is something we want to see the hand of the Lord in and then we'll preach on Revelation 17 let's pray Heavenly Father thank you for little ones God how our hearts are thrilled just to see little people running in the foyer and running down to be taught or to sing and we and we realize they're gonna grow up in a world where they are so gonna need you and I pray that they find you when they're young walk with you all the days of their life and help us big people here today too also to walk with you thank you so much Lord that we are a part of a family the family of God and help us, I pray, to treat our brothers and sisters with great love and sincere care. And help us, Lord, when, when we fail, we look to you. Thank you for these songs. Thank you for uh, Walt and Sarah at Extreme Response, uh, for what they're doing to help people who are hurting. And we ask that you would help us now to pay attention to your word in a deep way that it would would land sweetly on our souls in Jesus name we pray amen so you have taken your copy of the Word of God and you have turned or scrolled to Revelation 17 and do you know what that means that means we are two weeks from the coming of Jesus Christ what I mean to say is in two, yeah yeah I would say you should celebrate go ahead you can clap for Jesus coming back yeah, yeah that'd be great um, he's watching you right now, you know. Um, Jesus is, may come back at any moment, but we're going to get to that part of the Bible, Lord willing, in two weeks. Everything changes. We go to Revelation 19, and i got to tell you, I will be happy to get out of the tribulation. It's, it's been a long trek, and yet at the same time, can I ask you this? Does, does the idea of Revelation terrify you, or does the idea of Revelation thrill you? Wait. It would be appropriate to be terrified it, it depends on if you are a friend of Christ or his enemy it would be appropriate to be thrilled if you think this book is about God's comfort to his people when they're going through trial to remind us that Jesus is the king God is in control Jesus is coming back to bring heaven to earth someday now when Jesus imagine when Jesus was here on earth when he was preparing to die on the cross and the the evening before he had a meeting with his disciples in the upper room and he was conscious that he was going to be crucified that he was going to be tortured and die and he prayed a prayer it's in it's recorded in John 17 you, you probably know it the high priestly prayer it's beautiful beautiful prayer when a person that you have a high regard for a person that you deeply love a person that you highly admire is knows he or she is gonna die and when they tell you I have a prayer and my prayer is for you would you not hang on every word we know that in life we don't always get to say goodbye to our loved ones like that sometimes they lose their ability to think clearly toward the end of their life sometimes they die suddenly and we don't get a chance to have a meaningful goodbye but jesus prepared his disciples by saying we're going to have a meal together we're going to eat again in the kingdom of god when i return i'm going to die and rise again we'll meet after the resurrection but right now i want to pray for you so wouldn't you say what he prayed was probably really important wasn't it was probably something he would want the brothers and sisters in the family of God to remember so in John 17 and this is to set up our Revelation 17 and you'll see why in a minute in John 17 in this in this prayer 
Jesus prayed something that if you think about it, it's shocking. You, you know what he prayed? He said that he, he prayed for his disciples, and then he prayed a little bit later in the passage. He says, and for those who would believe through them, which would include all of us, that's us. He said that they all may be one as I and the Father are one. That just, to me, if you think about that, that's just a shocking prayer. It really is. He says, I want every brother, every sister in the family to be one like God the Father and God the Son are one. If you're like me, that's just, that's a little sobering. Because every once in a while we have irritating brothers or irritating sisters or we are the irritating brother or the irritating sister or somebody hurts us or, or we hurt somebody else or we just don't click or, or there's the other thing and that is sometimes you know, people just do things that, that aren't right and we think, how can I be one with them like Jesus and the Father are one? And, and if, you, if you read a little bit further, in other words, Jesus says, I want you to be united in a special way with all true brothers and sisters in Christ. And verse 15 of John 17 says, I don't ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. And Jesus is, set, is saying, I'm leaving the world. He's going to die and he's going to rise. And he's going to ascend to heaven. But he says, you're staying in the world and that's where I want you. I want you to be in the world. Now, if you hang around church, you know what I'm going to say next is, but not what? In the world, but not. Yeah, you know that. Yeah. In other words, we are supposed to be in the world. Uh, in, the, in the down and dirty, ugly, sin-cursed, this world is not a friend to grace world. We're, we are sent into the world. But we're supposed to be separate from the world and united to all believers. This is, a, this is the, this is the uh, challenge of, of the Christian life. 15, John 17, 15. I don't ask that you take them out of the world, Jesus prayed for his disciples, but that you keep them from the evil one. So it's possible to be in the world, but kept from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them. Make them holy. Set them apart. Sanctify them through truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, Jesus prayed, I have sent them into the world. That's us. Uh, I, and, and for this sake, I consecrate myself that they may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but for all who will believe in me through your word. Say, that's me. That's me. That's us. All who believe through the word of the original disciples, that, that's other Jesus followers. And he's saying, I want you guys to be in the world. And, uh, but I want you to be kind of not wired like the world is wired. Don't believe like they believe. Don't love what they love. But be among them. I'm, I'm sending you. We have a special mission. And then, and then he says that they all, he repeats it, that they, verse 21, that they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. They also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. Now, so in the age of information, when there's so much different religious information, when there's so many different claims of truth, when it gets really confusing, it's super important that we know what the truth is and who our brothers and sisters really are because Jesus wants us to be united with them in a powerful love that's like the love between the Father and the Son. And yet, he doesn't want us to have that united fellowship with those who are the enemies of God, the world. So that requires discernment. And in the age of information, discernment is especially important. How do we know who's on what side? How do we know what's going to happen in the end? And that is why it's wonderful to have before us a book that shows us what it's going to look like in the end. Here's the way I, I like to say this. Never divide what God wants united. Never divide what God wants united. And never unite what God wants divided. So we as faithful followers of Jesus don't want to separate ourselves from other brothers and sisters in Christ. But we want to make sure that we don't unite with religious people or religious groups that really are not faithful part of the bride of Christ. And, and here's where I'm driving. What we're going to see in Revelation 17 is a worldwide religious system. 
that is a bad religious system that is against God. And this worldwide religious system has existed in the world and continues to exist. And the scriptures say, as the time of Christ's return grows closer, the false worldwide religious system is actually going to gain momentum. It's going to be very powerful. It's going to unite with demonic forces, and it's going to seduce lots of people. And these might be people with your last name. It might be you. So it's pretty sobering that we, have, that we have discernment. Just to underscore this, let me quote some Bible verses that my parents it, it really kind of branded into my soul when I was a boy, and I thank God for that. Like 1 John 2, 15, did your parents teach you? 1 John 2, 15, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. My goodness, that's, don't love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It doesn't mean you don't love people in the world. It doesn't mean you don't care about people. It doesn't mean you don't love flowers and birds and geography. It means the system that is anti-God in the world, the enemies of God. For all that is in the world, and it's defined here, the desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, the pride of life, it's not from the Father, but it's of the world, and the world is passing away. And all with, with his desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So, again, we're, we're kind of repeating the same truth so that it's embedded in your heart. This is what my parents wanted me to know. Like, there's a world out there that's against God, that hates God, that doesn't understand God, doesn't love God, blind to the things of God. You cannot think the way that world thinks. You cannot live the way that world lives. You can't love what that world loves. Otherwise, you don't have the love of the Father in you. My parents taught me this, too. Did they teach you this? I'm sure they did. In Romans, in chapter 12, after this beautiful kind of theological treatise of Romans that tells all the wonderful things God has done for us, in the light of all these mercies, Paul says in chapter 12, in verse 1, I'm appealing to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, in the light of all this, what should we do? Present your bodies a living sacrifice. That's rich language. Get on the altar and give yourself to God. Have you done that? If you said, God, I'm yours, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. I'm just like a, I'm like a sacrifice. My life is like a sacrifice to God. And then Doc Sweeting, Dr. George Sweeting at Moody Bible Institute, when I was there, he was the president of Moody. He would always say, the problem with a living sacrifice is what? Do you know? Yeah, it can crawl off the altar. Have you ever done that? Yes, you have. And so you got to get, that's kind of what we do coming to church, so get back on the altar. Give yourself a living sacrifice again. But listen to what it says. And then, and then the counter to that is verse 2. Is what's it going to say? And don't be conformed to the world. There it is again. It's all over the Bible. It's all over the Bible. Don't be, you can't think the way they think. You can't love what they love. You love them. You sincerely love them. But you don't love what they love. Think the way they think. There's a system in the world that is against God. Hear me. And when we get to the end of the Bible in Revelation 17, which we may preach today after I get done talking, um, Revelation 17, we're going to see there is a world system that is against God. And the world system that's against God is going to have a highly organized, powerful, good-looking, attractive religious component. And you know what the Bible calls that religious component? The church is called what? The bride of Christ. Guess what this religious component of this one world system is called? A prostitute, a harlot. Kind of, kind of, kind of grave language, isn't it? Uh, my, little, my little girl, Hopi, walked in today to be with me. She's a married woman now. And uh, when fellows would show interest in her, I always liked it when they came through the front door and not the back. You know what I'm saying? Are you with me? All the men are going, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. The women are going, what's he talking about? It's like, you know, I like a man to come through, like, your husband came through the front door. You know, he, he wanted to meet the family. He wanted to have an honorable relationship with you, Hope. He wanted to be good to you and pure, and he wanted to take care of you. He wanted to be your husband. He didn't just want to mess around with you. The world wants to use you and lose you. Satan wants to come in the back door and pretend it's a love relationship and just abuse you. Now, this is the setting. It's really important that we understand 
that the call of the world is going to get really loud in our hearts and in our kids' hearts. We got, Lois and I got 17 grandkids. We got two on the way. We're counting them. 17, Lord willing, they all come to the world safely. And I don't know that I'll be here for most of their lives. And I want them to know God. I want them to follow God. I want them to love God. You're, if you're like God, that's, that's beating in your heart too. Maybe you have somebody sitting right next to you and you're like, you would literally die for them if it meant that they could know God and that you could be in heaven together forever. This is life and death, heaven and hell, serious business, whether we're the harlot or the bride, whether we, whether we have a love relationship with the one who comes from the world through the back door in evil or through Jesus Christ, our great Savior. So discernment's life and death. So we got to know the enemy. So that's why Revelation. And, and, and let me review, because what we, what we should probably do is place ourselves in a book. So in Revelation 1, Obviously, uh, the apostle John was on the Isle of Patmos. He's working the rock pile, exiled to the Isle of Patmos, um, having been very much a man who loved Jesus. He watched Jesus, tried, tortured, crucified, died, saw him alive again, saw him ascend into heaven, served him faithfully, and was sent to the Isle of Patmos. And God, while John is working the rock pile, thanks be unto God, what happened to him? God gave John a vision of the risen Jesus Christ. A vivid, gorgeous, beautiful, one of the sweetest pictures in the Bible of what does God look like in the person of Jesus, Revelation chapter 1. In Revelation chapter 1, then after John had the vision of Jesus, what happened? He gave him letters to the churches. And these are rich letters. We've studied through these letters. And, and, and each one of them is just a rich letter to the churches. And they are for, the, all the, for each church, but they're for every church, but they're for our church. That was in Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 3. Then in Revelation chapter 4, in order to prepare those people in those churches who were under the persecution of Domitian, in order to help them to see what was really going on in the world and not just what they could see in the world, but what was also happening in the heavenlies, he took them, God gave John a vision and took them to the throne room of God in heaven. And that's Revelation chapter 4 and 5. And if you are ever discouraged or if you ever want to just read something that will quicken the, your heartbeat, read Revelation 4 and 5. It gets a throne room of God. And of the lamb, the slain lamb, the creator God, the slain lamb, and singing, there are songs that just, if you have a heart for God, you got to love Revelation 4 and 5. But then in Revelation 6 through 18, and we're still slogging our way, aren't we, through Revelation 6 through 18, it really has been glorious to go through it. But 6 through 18 describe a period of time called the tribulation, half of which the tribulation, the second half often called the great tribulation, and the stuff that happens during that time, the seven years previous to the return of Jesus Christ in power and great glory are described to us in kind of really vivid terms. And, 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 and in some cases, they're frightening. But what happens in these chapters is you'll, no, you'll notice this, is you'll have a description about what's happening on earth. And it's always really vile. There are demons and, and terrible things happening and bloodshed and, and chaos and hatred. But then when you feel like you can't take it anymore. It's like you get to go back to heaven and see the, the view from heaven, and there's always peace, and, and Christ is, and God is on the throne, and the slain lamb is standing nearby, and the saints are singing, just enough for you to get your breath so you can go back and slug it out in the world. So this book was written to encourage people like us who are going, what in the world is going on in the world? The Bible precisely describes exactly what's happening in the world and what's happening in heaven and what's happened in the past and what's going to happen in the future. So the people who get a grip on this book are going to be ready for what happens in the future. This is rich. And so now you probably thought, let's take bets on whether he actually ever gets to Revelation 17. Um, but we are. We're going to get there here right now because we're going to read through Revelation 17. And then I'm going to show you five things that will help you be faithful I want you to be aware of what's happening. And, and God wants us. God the Holy Spirit, John the Apostle, wanted the churches. And, and by extension, all those who would believe in the Lord, us, wanted us not to be discouraged when we see, my goodness, there is a growing religious group in the world that hates God. And they seem to be doing pretty well. They tweet all the time. They have their own Facebook pages. They have their own leaders and theologians. They have their own Christian singers. How do I know the difference between the good guys and the bad guys here? 
See, that's what we're talking about. And so we would not be deceived and we would not be seduced. I'm going to read Revelation 17, show you these five things. If I don't get done today, do you promise to come back again? How many of you promise to come back again? That, makes, that just makes me feel so relaxed. And so, okay, so, so just preach until I'm, I run out of time. And, you know, I don't want to make the, the children's workers downstairs mad at me. And so that's, that's the ones I'm concerned about. Revelation 17, let's take a look at this. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bulls came and said to me, come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. By the way, uh, that we've seen this beast, haven't we? In Revelation 13, this is the, this is the Antichrist, the beast. So the woman is uh, riding the beast. And I said, 14, the woman is arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls and holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written the name of Mystery Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. It's a good girl or bad girl. <laughs> yeah, obviously really bad. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled greatly. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with seven heads and ten horns that carries her. And the beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit. This is describing what happened in Revelation 13. And go to destruction. The beast, verse 8, that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. How would you like to try to teach that? <laughs> That's interesting, I thought this week. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. This calls for a mind with wisdom, I guess. <laughs> Put on your thinking cap. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. And there are also seven kings five of whom have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come, and when he does come, he must remain only a little while. As for the beast that was and is not, and is an eighth, but it belongs to the seven, and it goes to destruction. And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. These are of one mind, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. Now for the good part, verse 14. And they will make war on the lamb, and the lamb will conquer them. He is the Lord of lords, and he is the king of kings. And those with him are called and chosen and faithful. Can I read that one again? Because you missed the amen part. Okay, so let me help you out. I just want to help. So they will make war on the lamb, and the lamb will conquer them. For he is the Lord of lords, and he is the king of kings. And those with him are called and chosen and faithful. Amen. Amen. And the angel said to me, the waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. And the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. Make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her with fire. The beast turns on the prostitute, kills her. What's going on? Verse 17, God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose. This is going to be really important when we go back to this. But God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handling, handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. That's Babylon. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, wow, that, some of that, you know, when I first read that, that's really, that's complex. 
So there are notes online. You can go back and you can see these notes. We're going to walk through this uh, text and, and we're going to describe it and we're going to describe the hard parts a couple of times so that you get a little bearing on it. But what I would say is a couple of things. You want to go back and look at the notes to study them a little bit because the grammar, the wording here, initially it seems a little confusing, but it is. it makes really perfect sense. And there are little parts of it that we won't fully know right now. But remember this, the, the main things are the plain things. And the plain things are the main things. And that's why we read verse 14 the way we did, because I, you could go, I'm really not sure what all that other stuff is, but I do know whatever it is is bad, and Jesus is going to come back and win, and I want to be on his side. And this is where we always land on this. And that's the main thing, and that's the plain thing. So let me show you these five things. Um, one, an anti-God religious system is growing in the world. Chapter 17 and verse 1, the one of the seven angels with the seven bowls. Remember the, bowl, the, the chapters 6 through 19 are arranged around seven seals that are broken and judgments come on the earth and seven uh, trumpets sound and judgments come on the earth and seven bowls are emptied of judgment on the earth and then Jesus is going to come back. But chapter 17 and 18 a good, how many of your teachers, raise your hand if you, you're teachers or have taught. If you're a good teacher, you know this, you do two things really well. You preview what you're going to say, and then you say it. Am I right? You preview, you say, I'm going to say this, then you say it. Am I right? And the other thing that you do is you say, this is what I just said. Now, revelation is chronological, except for when the great teacher says, and this is what I said, and this is what I'm going to say. And 17 and 18 are, and this is what I said. Or another way you look at it is forget the teaching analogy and think about the Netflix analogy. You're watching episodes of end times. And before the next episode, it's like, up to this point, this is what happened. You're previewing, okay, now I know who's who and what's what. I walk in the room hoping mom are watching a movie. I go, set me up. And they, and they always go, your, Lois goes, you're just going to have to watch it. Because she's not... The, hope you might, might go, well, here's what happened. This guy's the bad guy and this lady's, you know, and then set me up. So what so John does in this, uh, uh, the arrangement of the book is sometimes you have a review. 17 and 18 are reviews. So 16 in chronology, 16 goes to 19. In other words, after what's in 16, which are the bowls of wrath, Jesus comes back. But before that happens, he wants us to review what happened with the beast and add a couple things because chapter 17 is going to be what happened to the world religious system and chapter 18 is what happened to the world economic system that was against God. And he tells us these things so that we will be encouraged and so we won't be seduced by the world. So 17 and 18 are pretty fascinating, but when we're done with them, well, Jesus is going to come back in chapter 19. So there's an anti-God religious system growing in the world. By the way, you know it's in the world because chapter 17 and verse 15 decodes, 15 decodes verse 1. The angel, and the angel said to me, the waters that you saw, here goes the decoding of the symbol of waters, that the prostitute was seated upon are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. What are the waters? Peoples, multitudes, nations, languages. In other words, this is big. This is real big. The prostitute, the worldwide religious system that's against God is worldwide. Now, this is real. This is in, in real space and time. Today, we live in a world where all religions are not good. Some religion comes from God. A religion comes from God. A truth claim comes from God. The rest come from demons, according to the Bible. They're demonic. Anti-God religious system is growing in the world. And this system, by the way, is often called symbolically Babylon, and I'm not going to take the time to do it, but we could go back to Genesis 8, 9, 10, and we could go from the beginning. Where did Babylon come from and where is it headed? But this world religious system is often called Babylon. Somebody said the, the revelation is the tale of two cities. Babylon takes up a 10% of the, of the book. There are 400-some verses in Revelation 44 are about Babylon. Babylon is referred to over and over in the Bible. But then there's one city referred to more often than Babylon, the city of God, Jerusalem. It's a tale of two cities. It's the prostitute or the bride. It's Babylon or Zion. And, and this is what you have. Number one, anti-God religious system is growing in the world. 
When you're walking through a dangerous crowd, you take your little children by the hand and you pull them over next to you and you go, here, walk with me right now. That's what John is saying. Come here. We're going to make our way through a really ugly, dark world. Come over here right now. Stay with me. Because this is dangerous. But it looks... So, number two is the religious system is a part of a larger worldwide anti-God political and economic system. And you'll see this because it says so in 17.2, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality. It uses supercharged sexual language to say, the kings of the earth are in bed with this harlot. The kings of the earth that hate God have a religious arm. All religions aren't good. Um, and they're drunk with a wine of that sexual immorality. And then there's a, there's a technical term used, phrase used in Revelation over and over again, dwellers upon the earth. It's used two times here in Revelation 17. And it always means a, a group that's against God. The people on earth who are in this part of this world system are dwellers upon the earth. And he, and he says, the dwellers on the earth have become drunk. The kings of the earth and the dwellers upon the earth, the anti-God world system has a religious arm that's doing its bidding. They're in bed with this harlot. Rules over the nations. And you see that there is a political economic system because you look at chapter 18, verse 1, after this, another angel came down from heaven, having authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And this description is going to be Babylon has fallen. So you have the harlot has fallen, and then later Babylon has fallen. To encourage the church, God says, be sober because there's a worldwide religious system that you must resist. Be sober. There's a worldwide political and economic system that you must resist. But I want to encourage you because both of them are going down because they can't defeat the slain lamb. Now, that's the third thing then is, repeating one and two. One, the anti-God religious system is growing in the world, even right now. Two, that system is a part of a larger system that's economic and political. Three, this religious system appears to be good it's, and to do good. It's wealthy and beautiful, but it's demon-possessed and it's determined to destroy the people of God. That's what you see in four through six. Here it again. The woman is arrayed in purple and scarlet. Looks kind of good. Adorned with gold, jewels, and pearls. Holding in her hand a golden cup. But it's full of abominations impurities, sexual immorality. On her, written, on her forehead is written the name of the mystery Babylon, mystery Babylon, the great mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. So the system appears to be good. And it's a, all throughout the Bible, don't you see that whatever God does, Satan tries to counterfeit. The bride of Christ, this is the counterfeit of the bride of Christ. This is the religious system you don't want to be a part of. This is what you want to separate from and not be united to. You want to be united to all those who are your brothers and sisters in Christ and divided from all those, in, in a religious sense, who are religious but they aren't gods. And so this religious system appears to be good and to do good, but it's demon-possessed. And now you want to put on your thinking cap because the Bible actually says that. Look in verse 9. This calls for a mind with wisdom. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, I come to church so I don't have to think. But today, you have to think uh, because we're going to go through this. So she's allied with the beast and the false prophet because when you read this language, even though it seems a little confusing in the grammar, you can see very clearly it's just describing what was just described in chapter 13 about the Antichrist or about what's called the beast, the scarlet bee animal. Um, verse 8, the beast fakes a resurrection. Remember that happened in Chapter 13, and it threw everybody off. It, it, was a fa it was whatever the lamb does, he fakes, right? And so you have that, verse 8, the beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise. Fake resurrection of the beast from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. He ends in destruction. And there it is again, the dwellers on the earth. And then they're described by, as people who do not have their names written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. So that would be a good spot to stop and go, there's my name in the book. Those are pretty important. My loved ones, my neighbors, there's their name in the book. By the way, I just so you know, this language about the sovereignty of God is all through the Bible. It's all through this passage. But I want to remind you that the Bible ends with a call to all who would desire to come and drink freely of the water of life. That's how this book's going to end. But... Chapter uh, 17, verse 9, 
the, the heads there. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are also symbolically seven mountains on the, whom the woman is seated. And you're like, what are those seven heads or seven mountains? And then it's decoded right here. And this is helpful because it wasn't decoded in chapter 13, but it is decoded right here. What are the seven heads, also called seven mountains? They are what? Seven political leaders, seven kings. Five of whom have fallen. One is, the other is not to come. And when he does come, he must remain only a little while. I won't stay here long, but I, I have, there are different ways of understanding this. I mean, obviously there's only one right way, but godly people who love the Lord, who are those kings uh, to save time, here, here, I just want to tell you what I, I believe about this. I believe there, that what we see here is a parallel to what you see in Daniel 2 in the images, in Daniel 7 in the image of a beast, Daniel 2 in the image of the great image there, that you have a succession of world empires, especially the ones that opposed Israel. And if you back up and you pick up historically, you have Egypt opposed Israel, Assyria opposed Israel, Babylon opposed Israel, Medo-Persia opposed Israel, Greece opposed Israel, and then Rome opposed Israel. And you have that in, Revel in Daniel, the, the, all but the first two in Daniel 2, in the image of Daniel 2, and in Daniel 7 in the image of the beast there. We won't go there, but if you study them together, you see a very clear parallel. I think what John saw, and he's describing, is... You have world powers that rise and fall, and they always hate the people of God and oppose the people of God, and there's going to be a revival of that, kind of a Roman-like revival, the ten toes of the image in Daniel, or the heads of the image in Daniel 7, the ten-nation confederacy or ten-region confederacy that has some kind of Roman connection. That's what I think. That's what I believe, having you know, studied this carefully, I believe that's what that is. But here's what I know. It's a bunch of people or kings that are opposing God and they're in alliance with the beast and they're in alliance with the harlot and they're going to fight with Jesus and they're going to lose. That's plain as can be. Jesus Christ is going to conquer all of his enemies. He's always going to win even if it looks like he's not winning at the time. Hello? You're looking online, you're going, what in the world is happening in my beloved America? What in the world is happening in the world? It's not supposed to be like this. Absolutely. Good thing you have a Bible in your lap, because the Bible describes that exactly as it is. There are those who are going to rise up and they're going to increase in the last day who oppose God, who hate God, who resist God. There's going to be a religious element of that. There's going to be a political element of that. There's going to be an economic element of that. And the, the, the saints are going to be, some of them martyred and die and shed their blood. But even in their death, they're going to conquer through the risen lamb, the slain and risen lamb of God. This is what's going on in the world. So hang on. It's like be encouraged. Don't be discouraged. And don't be seduced by the world. That's the idea. So again, verse 11, you have that scarlet animal, which is the beast that died and then feigned or a resurrection. He reigned before as one of the seven, with Rome, if you will, and his second in the revival of that Roman Empire are the ten things. And then the horns in verse 12, and when the, te the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings. And again, if you're tracking with me, I, I believe what this is describing is the ten toes of the beast, if you will, in, in Daniel the 10 nations that, can, that, that come together or 10 groups that political powers that come together in the last day, Bible students have speculated that might be, you know, European communism. It might be more likely that this has a, big, uh, has a big component of Islam in it. And a large, uh, if the rapture of the church happens before the tribulation, and some people believe that's when it will be, then it might be, it's interesting, you would have a seven-year period of time when, Christianity is no longer the largest religion in the world, but Islam is. And they would be, if you read the news, you know that, that uh, radical Islam is determined to destroy the Jewish people. And it can, and it can be very violent. Anyway, uh, the beast rise to power will coincide with the rise to power of these 10 additional kings, and the lamb will conquer. Now, so I'm reviewing this, just saying the same thing I just said, again, real quick. Who's the great prostitute? A world religious system, symbolized by Babylon, tale of two cities. Who's the beast with the seven heads and ten horns? It's decoded uh, there, the, 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 the uh, Antichrist. What are the seven heads? 
kings or, and, and probably a succession of world powers that are against Israel. Who are the seven mountains? Again, it's another symbol of the, of the seven kings. Um, and five are fallen and another is to come. And, uh, and then uh, who are the ten uh, kings of the ten horns? And, you know, I speculated in Bible students and scholars and scholars of prophecy that believe that Revelation is future usually say there, this is probably a kind of revival of the Roman Empire, maybe nations that were influenced by, by elements of Roman law. That's a, a guess because we don't know. It's not really clear. It's something that we don't know yet. This is interesting. Every week I read at least like parts of 22 commentaries about Revelation to prepare myself. One, one, one fellow who's a pastor, who's a very faithful, thorough, careful, uh, thoughtful student of the Bible is a, a guy named John MacArthur. He said something that made me laugh out loud. Well, he wrote something that made me, we actually didn't talk this week. He, he wrote something that made me laugh out loud. Uh, he wrote about this text right here about the 10, who are these 10 kings? And here's what he wrote. He said, it will take much spiritual insight to understand this part of the vision, and perhaps only those alive at the time will fully comprehend it. I thought that was kind of funny. It's like, yeah. Well, let me say that in a different way. I was on my throne one day. I mean, I was sitting in my recliner one day, and my brother-in-law called. My brother-in-law, Jim, he's like, Ken, I need your help. This is when we lived over in the Down River, not far from the airport, and he goes, I need your help. And I'm like, well, what can I do for you, Jim? I would do anything for Jim. He goes, I left my company truck at the airport in a parking garage and I think I left the keys in it and it's unlocked and it has like a valuable laptop in it and I'm like in Detroit you did that he goes I wonder if you would run over there and see if my keys are in my truck I'm like sure Jim I'll get right over there here's what he here's what he says something like this okay you go to the blue light, you take a left, you go to the second level, or maybe it's the third level, and you turn right, and then immediately you got to turn left, and then there's a little thing you got to turn, and then there's a, there's a line of, of cars, and then if you go out that, oh, out that opening and to the left, it's right there. You can't miss it. That's <laughs> what I thought when I read this passage. I'm like, uh, uh, somebody should take me out for breakfast just for explaining this this week. You know, should get some kind of extra bump, don't you think? I mean, I was looking like, what? That is God. But here's the, here's the truth. I, I got in my car, and I followed the directions as I understood them. I got to the airport, and I go, okay, 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 yeah, yeah, there's the blue, there's the blue line, there's the red level. Okay, yeah, that, that makes sense. And left, okay, that's right, yeah. And you know what happened? When I got there, it made a lot more sense. I was like, there's this truck, and the door is open, and the keys are in it, and the laptop is on the seat, and it wasn't stolen, and it was in Detroit. So... I thought that was pretty remarkable. But the point is, one of these days, we're going to get really close to this. And those of us who really love God and love our Bibles and have studied our Bibles and thought, I'm not sure if it's this, or it might be this, or it might be that, are going to go, aha, now that I'm close, I see. I know not to compromise with this religious system that hates God. I've seen this before. I read about this. I'm not going to be a part of this. I'm going to oppose this. I won't, I won't do this. So if you're counting, you know I'm on number four. And number four is Jesus, my favorite part, will fully and finally defeat the false church. He will fully and finally defeat the false church. It's really interesting to see it. You say Jesus defeated the false church? It looks to me like Babylon turns on the false church. In the text, that's what happens, doesn't it? Who did, does Jesus come out of heaven and go bang and, and destroy the prostitute? No. He has, he has arranged for the Babylonian world system. I can't say that without babbling, can I? The Babylonian world system to destroy. This is, again, this is, again, another one of those sweet places in the Bible that so plainly teaches the sovereignty of God. Wrapping this up, but track with this, because this is good. Look at verse 17. God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose. You're, yeah, yeah, you get it, don't you? Because what does this mean for us? It means, you know, we say to God, God, bad things are happening in my life. He's like, Jill, it's carrying out my purpose. I'm doing something here. Spring Arbor. I like Spring Arbor. When I go to Spring Arbor, I go the back way. I drive down this road. You guys know the name of this road. I always forget it. But to this road, to that, is it Teft that goes north? Teft, Teft Road. 
This winter, I'm driving out there, and I noticed they tore down all the trees along the road. And I thought, that greedy farmer, he just wants a little bit more corn to plant. You know, I, thought, thought, I had uncharitable thoughts like that. I, why did he tear down all those beautiful trees? I enjoy them every day. A big, long line of mature trees that go all along that road. Yesterday morning, I'm driving, and I go, oh, they're making a bike path from Spring Harbor to the Falling Waters Trail. Good move. Well played. There are trees other places. Now we have, someday we're going to go, God, why are you doing this? Why are you letting this happen to me? Why, why is this terrible thing happening? And then one day we're going we're gonna to go, yeah, you got it. Oh, I see what you were doing, God. Because he's good and he's in sovereign control. And, and you, you got to see this. Show him. Acts chapter 2, because you've got to see this. If it's true about the death of Christ, in other words, if God can make good come from evil in something as evil as the death of Christ, then God can make good come from evil in everything in your life. And listen what it says in Acts chapter 2, 23. I think that's going to be up there. And Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men, but God raised him up. What's this saying? God is sovereign in the death of Jesus, and the death of Jesus was an evil act against a perfect, holy God. And, and that's, if that's, that's not all, look now, in, or watch on the screen there. Acts chapter 4 Another statement of God's sovereignty literally says that, oh, sovereign Lord. Verse 24 of Acts 4, they heard it, lifted their voices together and said, sovereign Lord who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant by the Holy Spirit said, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain and the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed? For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan predestined to take place. When something bad is happening in your life and you're a child of God, God is doing something. You've been with me so long and you don't know this. If something bad is happening in your life and you're a child of God, God is doing something good. This is one of the beautiful expressions of his sovereign power and it's so clear in this passage my goodness, listen, let me wrap this up. Um, you got the lion and the lamb. You got the slain lamb and you got Satan. You have the harlot, you have the bride. When we get to 19, it's going to parallel 17. You're going to see that the presentation of the bride is going to parallel this presentation of the harlot. It's like you have your choice. Jesus wants to bless you. Satan wants to curse you. Jesus is your advocate. Satan is your accuser. Jesus wants to give you life, eternal and abundant. Satan is a murderer. He wants to damn you in hell forever. Jesus wants to favor you. Satan wants to abuse you. Jesus wants to grace you. Satan wants to strip you of all that's good and honorable. Jesus wants to gift you. Satan wants to rob you. Jesus wants to cherish you. Satan wants to torment you. Jesus wants to delight you. Satan wants to plunge you into discouragement, depression, and despair. Satan wants you to be disloyal to Jesus. He wants to pull you into committing spiritual adultery. And he has a sophisticated worldwide system in place to destroy you. But don't let Satan sink his talons into you with temptation this week. But devote yourself to Jesus and to faithfulness in Christ because you are the ones who are called and chosen and faithful. We are the, that's where we are in this, amen? Called and chosen and faithful. I don't want to lose my man card here. But I love when calls the heart. I'm just saying it. I love it. You know, you can go to sleep afterward. You don't have to feel like you have to take a shower. It's not, you know, all nasty and stuff. You, you know, when calls the heart. They're in this little town, Hope Valley. Is that, look, it's a Hope, Hope Valley, am I right? And there's a guy. He's a royal Canadian mounted police. Handsome as all get out, red coat, Jack. Jack, right? And then there's this beautiful school teacher 
named Elizabeth who lives on the prairie but looks like she stepped out of a dress boutique every week. <laughs> Just like you do, you know? And, and, they're, and in the movie, they're, they, you know they belong together, but they're just not getting together. <laughs> they're just flirting with one another, and they're misunderstanding one another. And in every episode, the cliffhanger is, is the pretty girl going to get with the handsome Mountie? At one point, at the end of the season, the season finale, Jack invites Elizabeth for a ride out in the country. She shows up looking beautiful like usual. And they go out to this amazing place, a beautiful place. It's a mountain after mountain in, in sight. There's a lake, and Jack and Elizabeth are standing there, and he says to her, I'm going to build you a house right here where we can live together forever, and you'll be my wife. That's a good story, isn't it? It's kind of like the Bible. Jesus says to you, I love you. I'm always going to be good to you. I have a plan for you. It's beautiful. Stay with me here. I'm building a mansion for you. We're going to be together someday. Don't be seduced and don't be discouraged. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I pray even now, that you would be drawing to yourself anyone who's far from you that's not a part of the bride of Christ yet, that they would even come forward and not leave and talk with those that are waiting here to pray with them, and that they would become part of the family of God, brothers and sisters in Christ. I also pray for many who are here who are Jesus followers and who love Jesus, that they would not be discouraged and they would not be seduced. Help us to keep in mind that beautiful place that you prepared for us and the sweetness of sitting by the fire with you someday. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.